Radio Sustain, a journal of fair trade, resilient rural communities, safe food, and a healthy environment. Brought to you by IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. This edition of Radio Sustain is for December 19, 2008. I'm Allison Page at IATP in Minneapolis. Today on the program, Steve Supan connects speculation in agricultural markets and food security, Mark Muller on green farming and volatile markets, and Cecilia Martinez talks about IATP's new Center for Earth, Energy, and Democracy program. IATP report reveals how excessive speculation in agriculture commodity markets has played a major role in the rise and fall of global food prices. Ben Lilliston discusses the food and financial crises and their connection with Dr. Steve Supan. IATP has published a paper linking speculation on agriculture commodity markets and the food crisis. Could you tell us, Steve, a little bit about that link? What is the connection between these two? Part of the difficulty of understanding the relationship between the crisis in food security and the extreme volatility in commodity prices is that we often just think of commodities as something that gets processed into food or that gets processed into energy, essentially as kind of raw material bought in the cash market. But from the viewpoint of the financial services industry, agricultural commodities are just one more asset class that you bet on. So in writing about commodity speculation, it was necessary to understand the financial instruments that have caused prices to become so volatile. One of the things that's happened beginning with the Clinton administration in 1999 was that financial service industry became more and more deregulated, allowing for, in the first place, a merger of commercial banks with investment banks. And so suddenly the very large savings deposits of commercial banks became available for investment by the much riskier practices of investment banks. The first real major deregulatory move was the uh, elimination of the Glass-Steagall Act in 1999 and its replacement by the Financial Services Modernization Act. And then the big proponents of that act, Larry Summers, Robert Rubin, Alan Greenspan, plus the financial services industry, made it much more difficult for governments around the world to regulate finances through their proposal for the financial services industry paper in the World Trade Organization. So with those kind of uh, deregulatory tools in place, then the amount of uh, speculative instruments began to explode. And the other really important step in this creation of volatility occurred in 2004 when Goldman Sachs and a half dozen other investment banks became exempt from having to hold enough capital reserves to cover possible losses in trades. So you have these very tight commodity markets 
that is tight in the, in the relationship between supply and demand, in part because of the use of some commodities to make biofuels, but just because a lot of the practice over the last 10 years has been just-in-time delivery of all kinds of commodities, especially agricultural ones. So those markets respond very quickly in terms both of cash prices, but also in terms of the financial instruments. And so these financial speculation drove prices to record highs at the beginning of July in 2008. And since then, they've collapsed more than 40%. Is Congress looking at this problem and what sort of solutions are being proposed? Congress was pretty rapid to respond to this issue. And the reason was because, at least in the United States, the rural financial system was starting to break down. So although prices started to rise in 2007, they really started to spike in 2008. By April, you had the first hearings of the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, where both large and small players, everybody from the National Farmers Union to very large traders in, in, in cotton and other commodities were saying the future system has broken down for us. It's not working. By July, there was a, a huge sign-on letter by the largest agricultural commodity organization saying we've got to do something to regulate the futures and options market. By September 18th, the U.S. representatives under the leadership of Representative uh, Colin Peterson had approved the Commodity Exchange Transparency and Accountability Act of 2008. And right after the Thanksgiving holiday, Representative Peterson led a delegation to London and to Brussels to talk to European Union and uh, London Commodity Exchange regulators because he doesn't want to have uh, investors taking their business elsewhere just because regulations in the United States have become more prudent and, and tougher. So I think going into 2009, you're going to see a real dogfight between the Futures Trading Association, the International Swaps and Derivatives Association, who've been fat and happy for a decade and are suddenly discovering that somebody wants to put some regulatory teeth into the agencies that are responsible for protecting investors and consumers. Within the last year, prices for agricultural commodities have skyrocketed and then dropped just as rapidly. Within this era of price volatility, sustainable agriculture practices have been pushed aside. We sat down with IATB's Mark Muller to discuss the impact of market volatility on sustainable agriculture. So Mark, how does the up and down of the market in agriculture affect sustainable agriculture? Well, the past year or two have been really interesting for what it's done for, for sustainable agriculture farmers and farmers in general. 
is we've seen the price of corn skyrocket. And as that skyrocketed, you had more and more farmers growing corn. That changed the market from being more of rotation, going to corn, to soybeans, to alfalfa, to other things. People growing corn, 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 year after year. And so from a sustainable agriculture perspective, you know, we want to have that long rotation. And we're losing that when you have these crop bursts, when you have really high corn prices and really low other prices. That's when we lose our sustainable agriculture practices. So what kind of sustainable agriculture practices are lost? When we talk about sustainable agriculture, I think what's key is trying to maintain those resources, maintaining the soil resources, maintaining those water resources for the next year and for the next decade and for the next future seven generations. And so that's what's key. And the problem that we run into often is when, when farmers are following the market and they grow corn year after year or soybeans year after year, they're depleting the soil. You know, sometimes depleting water, but the key is depleting the soil. So it's, it's key to have those long rotations where you have one crop that might use more nitrogen, like corn, then another crop that supplies some of it, then another crop that provides more carbon back, getting a long uh, rotation like alfalfa, which is a perennial that provides more root structure. To have those long rotations is key for having, maintaining those soil resources. One of the benefits of having long crop rotations and having perennials in that mixture, things like alfalfa or, or switchgrass or things like that, one of those benefits is it builds up carbon in the soil. Uh, we've lost a tremendous amount of carbon in the soil over the past century when we've tilled the land. And so a lot of those carbon dioxide emissions are, have contributed to our greenhouse gas emissions and climate change. Uh, we can reverse some of that by getting some of that carbon back into the soil. And good farming practices can do that, get that carbon back into the soil. We also, with good farming practices, we use less of the fossil fuels. We use less of the chemicals, the energy-intensive nitrogen fertilizers. By using less of those, um, we're emitting less greenhouse gases also. These things are crucial for a true sustainable agriculture and sustainable land use. And we're, we're just getting away from that when we have farmers that are too concerned about what's going on with the market in Asia and what we can do with corn exports, rather than what's best for keeping the soil oil and water where it's at. Why are we seeing such volatility in agriculture markets? Now, we, we did a little look at this, and why there's such volatility over the past year. And there are a whole host of reasons. You, you know, I think uh, corn-based ethanol in the United States is often pointed to as, as being the culprit. There are a host of other reasons, weather issues throughout the world, different trade issues. There's a whole host of things that are going on that have caused many commodity prices to spike. But I think the key issue that we have to point out is that the sustainability of the system is that we are not as resilient as we have been in past years. So that we have some bad weather in Australia and all of a sudden wheat prices spike. You know, we shouldn't have a system that has lost its resiliency. And so weather issues, commodity issues, sustainability and uh, subsidy issues are going to cause it to go off keel. We need to have a system that can maintain providing enough food for people uh, year in, year out, rather than the system that we're currently having. Well, what would a system like that look like? How could we be more resilient? I think one of the keys to this is just so that we can maintain our supply of commodities year in, year out, and not have these price spikes. You know, the volatility in the markets helps some of the traders and the buyers and sellers, you know, they can make money off this. Farmers rarely make money. They might make some money because of the high commodity prices, but it looks like they're going down quite a bit now and we're probably going to have farmers losing money for several years. I think the key is to maintain a fair price for farmers for the main commodities, corn, soybeans, wheat, cotton, rice. We want to, make, to have a supply management system. And so if we'll have enough of a corn reserve, just like the strategic oil reserve, that when we need it, we can get it some supply from that reserve corn or soybeans. And then when we have prices are too low, we can put some supply into those systems and then take some of that commodity off the market.
In recent years, strategies for responding to the environmental crisis have focused on technological breakthroughs. IETP's new Center for Earth, Energy, and Democracy refocuses the debate by examining environmental issues through a social justice perspective that centers on people and democracy. Ben Lilliston sat down with Dr. Cecilia Martinez, director of the new program, to discuss how energy, social justice, and the environment converge. So what do you see as some of the most serious challenges that the environment and the Earth is facing right now? Well, some of the most serious challenges are obviously global warming at this time. But I think what we tend to look at global warming as mainly a scientific problem, and we don't tend to look at it as a social problem and an economic problem. So a lot of our solutions, we tend to focus on what's the best technology or what's the best market for dealing with this problem. And unfortunately, I think what we've done is created a way in which we abdicate our responsibility and we don't hold our social institutions accountable for the kinds of results that we're seeing. Uh, so we have a, really a problem of social justice as well as environmental destruction that we're facing. And I think that's the most important message that we have to get across to folks. How do you see issues of the environment, energy, and democracy converging? I think we have to start looking at our energy use, again, as much a social process as it is one of simply turning on the lights and whatnot. The fact of the matter is the way we've created our economic and our social institutions is to use as much energy as possible and to try and build as much energy supply as possible. So continuing to try and find new energy resources through oil drilling or through advancing coal technologies, but I think they don't tackle the fundamental problem that we're facing, and that is what is a good life? What is a healthy life? What is a just life? And does that require ever-expanding energy use, ever-expanding demand and supply of energy, which we know has destructive environmental impacts? What do you see the center focusing on within this larger area of work? Our goal is to do three things. One is to be able to really engage in in-depth analysis that has concrete outcomes, to be looking at local communities and state communities, regional and internationally, about what is going on in those communities and what are the assets and resources in those communities that can be built and how we can supply information and technical assistance towards that. Unfortunately, climate change and energy has become an area for experts, and even the language sometimes is out of the reach of the everyday person. And our goal is to say that it should not be. And what we can do is both do the in-depth analysis and be able to translate it so that we have better or more democratic participation of all communities, regardless of their income level or regardless of their racial or cultural composition. And then the last thing we want to do is we want to be able to work together with communities to educate youth and community members who may not understand the full implications of policies that are affecting them every day.
Radio Sustain is a project of IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Find us on the web at iatp.org. Radio Sustain is produced by Ben Lilliston. Radio Sustain's engineer is Patrick Sign. The music on the program was Tall Fiddler by Deo, Midnight Special by Lead Belly, Salvation for a Broken Heart by Null Sleep, Funky Party Time by the JDs. I'm Allison Page. Thanks for listening. Oh, no.